Welcome to the Magnificast. This is a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Matt. I teach media studies at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. Uh, my research interests are media archaeology, cultural theory, uh, philosophy of technology stuff. This week has been consuming my life, so I'll <laughs> say that right now. Uh, I, I went to the store and bought some LaCroix, so that crisis is also taken care of. Um, and also, on top of all of those things, Christian uh, Christianity leftist politics. That is my that is my. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Dean, a Catholic PhD student in philosophy at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto. Uh, I research uh, the same things that I was researching last week, so just go back and listen to that one. Uh, this week, I am uh, also researching anti-fascism in Canada. That's the thing I'm doing right now uh, for a cool article. So I also write as a journalist. That's a pretty fun thing that I'm doing these days. Um, today on the show, we're talking again with Derek Ford, who's a member of the Party for Socialism and Liberation, about the People's Congress of Resistance. If you don't know what the People's Congress is, you should check out uh, an episode that we did recently with Jody Dean, where she talks about it. Um, but before we get any further, uh, we've got some some house, some podcast house clearing to do. Uh, yeah, number one on the agenda is... I want to remind everyone about the Magnificast voicemail. Um, you guys have been really good about calling in. We have a few to uh, work through in a future episode. Um, if you would like to hear your own voice on this uh, premium podcast, uh, you can call us at 815-408-0745. So uh, call us, ask us all your questions about Christianity and leftist politics or, you know, like whatever. I mean, people have been sticking to that. No one's really asked us anything weird yet, so... No ghost questions, which is know. weird. Uh, you've got a yeah, man. Somebody ghost asked expert. a ghost question. God, I could tell you all about the ghost. It's October. It's ghost question month. Yeah, it's ghost-tober. Ooh, ghost-tober. I like that. Yeah, me too. It's great. Great month. Okay, <laughs> well, anyways, call in. Uh, call in. Uh, ask us your questions about whatever. Uh, but, you know, it'd be. I guess it's good if they relate to the podcast. But if not, it's fine, too. It's fine. It's good. <laughs> Okay, anyways, the number is 815-408-0745. Okay, um, we also have an iTunes review to read and to get to. Um, we've been really making our way through these in a, in a major way. So we only have one iTunes review left to read, and that's all we have. So maybe leave, leave us new ones, people who haven't done that before. Or if you uh, so have, just make up, a, make up a Kierkegaardian pseudonym, start dropping some iTunes reviews that <laughs> argue with other iTunes reviews, and then we can just slowly piece it together. Who's who? Anticlimacticus says this podcast blows. <laughs> uh, he would, probably. Yeah, he would. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, the po- uh, the podcast, podcast review this week comes from My Life is Like. That's the username. Hmm, so. Fill in the blank. Good. Yeah, my life is like very good right now because I'm listening to this podcast. That's probably what. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. I've already messed up. We're not allowed to say good on this podcast anymore. Apparently, oh, according dang. to Twitter, and uh, you know what? You're just all, all the rest of you are wrong. I'm sorry to inform you like this. I wish I could break it to you easier, but uh, saying things are very good is very good. It's just like, uh, what else do you need to say? It's very good. Keep it simple. We don't need those those sentence enhancers. <laughs> spicy sentence sandwiches <laughs> oh man 
love love that SpongeBob. Uh, <laughs> dolphin. Can you go back through the podcast after we're done and just every time we say good, can you edit in like a dolphin noise? <laughs> uh, I would love to do that, except that uh, I do not have that kind of time. Uh, one day we're going to hire a producer and we're just going to be like, the one qualification is you need a dolphin noise in your soundboard. That's it. Then you're hired. <laughs> okay, here's the iTunes review. <laughs> Uh, from My Life is Like. This is a 5 out of 5 star review. Uh, The title is Thankful for this Resource. My Life is Like says, I grew up evangelical but fell out of it after going to Bible school and trying to reconcile personal trials with God as well as a church that couldn't care less about the obvious social problems throughout society. I eventually found Marx and was convinced he was right after reading Capital. Uh, This is basically everyone's experience, I believe. (laughs) Uh, Currently, I'm trying to reconcile this with... uh, I'm trying to reconcile this with desiring a faith community, which are mo- mostly all really pro-capitalist. Thanks for the resources here. Uh, that is, uh, well, I mean, like, first of all, I'm glad that we can be a resource for you. On the other hand, that is a very hard thing to do. Um, it is hard. I mean, uh, if you guys are keeping up with us on Twitter, you saw the big leftist Christian roll call that happened <laughs> out of nowhere. Uh, that was a uh, John can... Thornton Jr. Thanks to him. Unsurprisingly, uh, yeah. just doing that good that pastor good. work. Yeah, getting some, getting everyone involved. Um, I mean, from that you can see that there are many Christian leftists. Um, it was so many so that my phone was blown up. But at the same <laughs> time, uh, they don't exist in a very proximal face-to-face community. And that makes things very difficult. I don't know how to fix that, but um, it, makes hard, it makes it hard just like to go to church. It makes it hard to want to go to church and like face face that whole crowd yeah it's true on my better days i feel like going to like the parish that i go to uh is not extremely socially conscious um there are plenty of socially conscious catholic parishes in the world and in canada and in toronto uh but i go to the one that is a block away from my apartment um and uh i don't know it's not like it's not a hashtag woke church Um, But I kind of feel like that's part of the challenge of being a leftist Christian is figuring out how to live with other Christians and how to engage that community and see if you can pick up where good things are happening and push it, I guess, in a more more sustainable political direction. Um, I don't know. That's like those are my good days. Uh, My bad days. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, why am I going to go to this again? (laughs) <laughs> it's so sad every time but uh you know the, I, all my days aren't bad days i appreciate that man i don't want to go to church in the morning, church in the morning. <laughs> yeah skip to the end of this podcast <laughs> cool um okay so that was the itunes review uh we have one more little bit of uh of the extra content we need to get through uh, last week, we chastised a user for get, giving us a four-star review, and uh, this user uh, e- emailed us. <laughs> <laughs> I actually feel really bad now. I mean, it was just a it was just a goof on the show, but uh, we we appreciate even the four-star reviews. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyways, the uh, the person that emailed us says, "I'm super embarrassed. I didn't change my iTunes reviewer tag since I was 12 and really into Toby Mac." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyways, uh, they say that they appreciate our answers, uh, and also uh, they're just a little bit salty when they wrote that review. It's fine. Be salty. Give us a four stars. Don't feel bad. 
but you know if you if you see the error of your, of your ways and you feel the need to repent like we're here it's uh the prodigal son yeah. narrative is alive and well in this podcast we'll greet you with open arms uh, as soon as you bring that five-star review right back home uh this reminds me of a completely tangential story but i'll tell it because i don't care it's my podcast <laughs> i'll do what i want um <laughs> one time i was in nashville tennessee which is a fun place to be nashville is very cool um and uh I saw Toby Mac's house. We drove past it in a car, and someone pointed it out to me and said, "Look, that's where Toby Mac lives." What did it look like? And did it have a like a gigantic Jesus fish uh, bumper sticker like on the side <laughs> on the siding? Well, no, it's like definitely a mansion, but it's not like as <laughs> mansiony as you would think Toby Mac's house would be. The Toby Mansion. That's a weird place. <laughs> Toby Maxion. <laughs> I just picture like a uh, like I want to see that episode of MTV Cribs, uh, and it's just Toby Mac taking people around to like his Jesus fish shaped hot tub and uh, his <laughs> Jesus fish shaped bed. Like it just feels uh, like the kitschiest things that you could possibly have, um, but on a on a grander scale. Uh, hey y'all, here's my collection of Jesus bobbleheads. <laughs> <laughs> here's a you're, painting you're... I commissioned of uh, Jesus behind me uh, holding the microphone as I rap. <laughs> oh man i can't believe toby mac was a thing but is toby mac still a thing does toby uh, mac still to mac for sure uh let's see oh you know that you know that he is he is uh toby mac is <laughs> toby mac's on tour right now uh of course so he is. anyone out at that toby mac concert let us know how that's going <laughs> like his look is just something else. I can barely. Okay, sorry. He's on tour right now, but let's just let's keep this in perspective. He is performing at the South Carolina State Fair. So, oh yeah, he's that he's that level of uh of entertainer right now. <laughs> Significantly high level. That's what you're talking about. Um, it looks like like if you just if you look up a picture of Toby Mac, it looks like he's just like stuck in 2005. <laughs> like, he might just be like, actually. It might be a curse. Like a lot of musicians make a deal with the devil to get famous, and his deal was like you can never get out of 2005. Yeah, no, that's exactly. what He has like this little pointy kind of like soul patch. On no, his face. that's not true. That can't be true. It is. That's and, too good uh, to be true. <laughs> it is. It's hard to believe, man. I don't know. That is the youth um, pastor facial hair, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Frosted tips and a soul patch on your face that is <laughs> so pointy you could hurt somebody with it. <laughs> uh, I had an undergraduate philosophy professor, shout out Matt Bonzo, who uh, shared a floor with uh, the members of DC Talk in undergrad at Liberty uh, University. True story. Oh, really? Yeah. That so he's is... basically, he's the lost member of DC Talk. Wait, did DC Talk go to Liberty? Yeah, or at least part of them did. Oh man, that's nuts. Um, you ever hear about Jars of Clay? Yeah, I heard about them. I've been to a uh, Jars of Clay concert. Really? Me too. Yep. One time they, uh, one time they played my high school gymnasium, which is pretty <laughs> wild. Uh, Jars of Clay got started at the institution I teach at, and uh, no one will ever let you forget that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they're they're fine though. They're all, they're, <laughs> Right, as guys. far as like evangelical bands go, they're among the the better ones. Yeah, I suppose they're like moderately open to uh, gay marriage. I think they. Uh, well, here's the best dig- thing about well. Jars of Clay: uh, they're no longer a band. Oh, nice! <laughs> <Right> <laughs> jars. Just like really slamming slamming those guys. Not just kidding. It's okay. They're fine. 
They're fine. <laughs> they're like they're okay people. I'm sure. They're all listening to this podcast. So pretty sure. We should I be know. Mouth, what we're mouth here. agate. They're probably going to be very upset at us. <laughs> um, if you are a member of Jars of Clay and you are now or have in the past been a Christian leftist, please call us at 815-408-0745. Uh, good. Well, we'll get to that one next week. <laughs> um, okay, we, we we should cut this nonsense out. We have a real-life Leninist on this podcast to talk to, so uh, we should just we should throw it right over to him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so Derek, uh, you I think continue to hold your uh, the record here at the Magnificast as being the most recurrent yes. guest. So nice job yes. holding onto that title. It's number one on my CV. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that gets you a lot of uh, hiring speaking gigs. I should actually put it. I should put in my Twitter bio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Co-host. It's like uh... then I then I can get verified probably. <laughs> it's like that you're the justin timberlake of the magnificast you've been host so many times yeah at some point we're we're gonna get you like one of those jackets that they give people on snl after they host yes. so many times yeah cool uh well uh when you're not on the magnificast which is you know not very often but still um what have you been up to i mean the big news is you went to the dprk that's like a whole thing in itself i guess so uh i don't know if people are interested in that you wrote a bunch of stuff about that but uh what have you been up to um this side of uh imperialism um yeah back in the imperialist motherland um let's see well yeah um teaching and one thing is i'm teaching a reading group on volume one of capital this semester which is a lot of fun yeah neat and a recent thing that happened is uh some students have have broken from the democrats on campus and have started this uh uh Democratic Socialists of DePaul group. So they had their first meeting last week, and there was a really good turnout. There were like 30 of them, and I'm like the faculty advisor for them. So I'm working nice. with them yeah. closely, and they're they're very excited, and there's a lot of energy. So that's that's been cool. That is really cool. Are they associated with the DSA, or are they just like doing their own thing? You know, it seems like they're doing their own thing and sort of uniting around the sort of general you know framework like they're using some dsa language and it's pretty much just like anyone to the like the you know anyone who like with socialist leanings um it's unclear whether that means like social like people who you know are like argue for like a mix of both or something like that are also going to be included but it seems like everyone there is pretty much like has you know socialist convictions believes that we need a new mode of production and a new set of social relations so that's great that's cool yeah. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Dang, what a neat thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Matt, what have you been up to? Uh, just teaching, grading a lot. Um, been going through this class that I'm doing with uh senior senior students over here on uh prisons, and it's been tough. <laughs> <laughs> We've been uh talking about uh the new Jim Crow, and then we started talking about Foucault this past week, and uh. The hardest part, I mean, I have some really great students, um, but I have also many students who really don't care very much about this topic, and um, it's been really disheartening, honestly. <laughs> um, just getting them to like be convicted that this is something they should care about has been pretty hard. 
It's kind of weird that it's so hard to do something like that at a Christian institution that comes out of a tradition that's sort of known for abolitionism. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I agree. The uh, The best students in the entire class are all the social work majors. Um, they just, they know, they already know why they care about this. So that's like pretty easy. Um, the folks in, um, I don't know, other other disciplines are having a hard time <laughs> making a strong connection to it. So it's been hard, but it's been fun for me at least. So sucks for them, but whatever. <laughs> and what are the disciplines that are having a hard time with it? Well, um, yeah, so it's an it's an interdisciplinary seminar. Seminar, so they have to like like all of the senior students that have have to like really get into this. Um, so students that are in um, like I don't know digital media, computer science are kind of having a hard time with it. Um, just because they don't see exactly how what they're doing applies, even though I think it's pretty clear that it does. Um, so it's just kind of, um, I don't know, uh, they're just having a hard time connecting exactly the way like they see themselves in the world and like what type of research they do with exactly like what it is that we're talking about. Like they don't understand exactly how like uh, information systems might affect uh, the incarcerated or something. So it's um, just, they're not, they're not making that connection like I'd like them to. Mm-hmm. That's tough. Yeah, at least um, yeah, it is tough. Sorry, I don't want to say I don't want to say anything else because I don't I don't want to meet anybody. <laughs> Taking that uh, that Give company sip of Lacroix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll just uh, just be silent on this one. Yeah, it's cool. Um, some there's a there's a handful of students in the class too who are like uh, they're like criminal justice majors, like and they want to work in I don't know law enforcement or something. Getting their perspectives is pretty interesting too, just because. Um, well, I don't know, because they care. They care in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, and it's I've been surprised that um, even the folks who want to, like, work in law enforcement are not, like, totally opposed to um, massive reformations of the criminal justice system. So that's heartening. It's nice. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, what have you been up to, Dean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I work at a coffee shop and comic book shop, and I've been working there a ton lately, picking up some extra hours, shifting some uh people around so that's taking up most of my time though i'm also writing an article about um canadian anti-fascism and that's really Mm. interesting for the jesuits so that's a fun thing to do it's fun to like email people and say hi i write for a catholic magazine and i'd like to uh interview your antifa group about uh canadian white supremacy and most of them are like i'm sorry what (laughs) can we uh, verify that you're not a cop first (laughs) yeah uh Uh, which is pretty fair so yeah that's been pretty cool to do uh one interesting thing i'm learning so far is that a lot of uh, Canadian anti-fascist movements have been led by uh, Muslim activists and anti-Islamophobia activists. So there's yeah. a really interesting mm-hmm. and unsurprising sort of faith uh, activism component there that has been cool to articulate. Yeah, that's super neat. Uh, how do you convince them you're not a cop? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. Just be very nice and uh, oh. send them all my questions ahead of time. I mean, they're, <laughs> ultimately, I guess they'll take the risk to talk to me or not. One yeah. One group is sort of going back and forth about whether or not someone will talk to me on the phone or whether or not they'll just email me. And I mean, I don't really mm. care either way. Um, yeah. I, I, it's better to talk to people on the phone because people sound more natural, but, uh, you know, I'll take what I can get. Um, yeah. So the other two people, they're like well-known, um, publicly involved. So it's easier to just meet up with them for coffee or whatever. I mean, I guess yeah. I could still be a cop, but like 
I sent them my my little profile on the magazine, so I guess they can judge for themselves whether or not I'm a trustworthy journalist. <laughs> <laughs> Just send them your Twitter handle, and then they'll know. Yeah, that's right. That's it. Um, well, uh, just to, to get out of this real quick, um, just becoming a, a master of segues on this podcast. Um, and here's, here's another fantastic example. Um, moving on. Uh, <laughs> so it's our first, uh, October episode, which means naturally we should probably talk about Lenin again. So it's fortuitous, providential, whatever that Derek is on this time around. And uh, Derek, you remember the Party for Socialism and Liberation, for people that don't know, which is a Marxist-Leninist party in the United States. Um, we talked to Derek a couple of times about Lenin already. So I figured we should just ask, uh, how are you celebrating the centenary of the Russian Revolution this month? It's a pretty big uh, day in the leftist liturgical calendar. It is, yeah. Um, and, you know, speaking of calendars, the like because the Russians were still on the Julian calendar or whatever... Like, you know, the technical date is, like, November 7th. Oh, dang. Um, even though it's October. But the thing is, is it's still, like, Red October. You know, like, nobody talks about, like, <laughs> November. There's not, like, journals called November, right? <laughs> so I still, I, I still think October is, you know, it's that's that's the month. Um, so, yeah, I am, uh, I think we're going to do an event with some other sort of lefty groups here in the Indiana area. Um, and do like something of a like short discussion um, of about like you know reevaluating reassessing 1917 and just what does it mean for us today um, and hear some different viewpoints about it and um, try to draw some lessons for I don't know sort of how we organize and how we're thinking about revolution and struggle today um, and that's one way I'll be celebrating it's not you know I mean it'll be fun for me but it's not like a you know, lowercase p party kind of event. Right, right. Are you, are you, either of you celebrating it? Uh, just like I'm, like I'm celebrating every day, I guess. True. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's a, there's a Communist Party of Canada mm-hmm. event that I'm hopefully going to go to if I can get out of work in time and they're doing a whole thing. Kind of a similar deal, I guess. Uh, a bunch of mm-hmm. lefty groups are just getting together to talk about it and think it through and chat and, I don't know, just an excuse to hang out, really. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it's it's a cool thing. I've, um, I don't know, I'm not doing anything other than just uh, living my best life now, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I've seen, like, there's lots of PSL events going on around the country, so it seems cool. Check out check out your local PSL folks and uh, see what, <laughs> see what they're up to. Um, yeah, for that date, it's cool. I don't know something we should celebrate. Something that's worth uh, paying attention to for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, another update we should get from you, Derek, uh, is uh, how's your church shopping going? And I don't know if people knew this. This is kind of like a Magnificast behind the scenes, but um, you were thinking <laughs> about thinking about jumping into some kind of church community, and uh, I thought that was really interesting. So, I mean. You don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but if you do. Well, uh, I mean, no, I appreciate it. Um, the this Actually, this is a reminder that I have to get back to that. <laughs> I haven't been doing it. So I guess the response is that it's not going, but I still want it to go. Um, I don't know if you saw our recent Twitter chain the other day, but uh, we have also not been going to church lately. Uh, so yeah. you're in good company. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> that, that will probably not help my motivation to go church shopping. Yeah. 
it's just hard. It's hard sometimes. It is. <laughs> it is. But that's the whole thing is that, you know, the discipline of it is so important. That's right. Yeah. And doing it even though it's hard. That's true. Nice thing about being Catholic is there's a mass like every single day. So you're mm-hmm. supposed to go on Sundays. Um, you know, that's ideal. Uh, technically, it's an obligation, I guess. But if you don't do it, I don't know, just go some other day. It's pretty nice. There's a bunch of makeup <laughs> makeup times. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Catholic principles like, hey, where have you been? And you're like, no, no, I've got an attendance sheet right here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dang. Um. Again, great, uh, great segue here. Uh, <laughs> Derek, you you went to the People's Congress though, and that looked like the coolest thing in the entire world. It was such a it was such a cool few days to be on Twitter and live vicariously through you all, uh, seeing all of the different events go down and seeing everybody sitting in one spot and like, I don't know, doing doing very good leftist stuff. Do you want to give us like a an overview of what it was like to be there? Yeah, I mean, I think. You know, in many ways, I'm still processing it. It was like a really overwhelming experience. Um, but something that Eugene Perrier, who's one of the conveners, and he was on the sort of opening session, is he he said, you know, like that he hears all the time, and I'm sure you've heard this, I've definitely heard it, that, you know, there's no way that the left can do anything because we're so divided. Um, you know, we just each have our own struggles. We have all these political disagreements. We have all these disagreements over language and um, you know, strategy and tactics. And then he was like, but, you know, looking around this room, I see actually that that's not the case, that we do have a left here um, that, you know, does have differences, but does have, you know, important points of unity, is willing to work together across differences, through differences. Um, and that was really evident, you know, throughout the whole time. Um, there was just, uh, you know, I think people were very excited to be there. Uh, I was very excited to be there, and that sort of energy really fueled the politics that took place and the ways that, you know, different struggles were really amplified. All of our struggles were expanded through that moment, through the, you know, the moment of the weekend. Um, and it, you know, it seemed to be, I think, a real catalyst, you know. Of course, like, the extent to which it is or not will be seen in the future, um, but I think you know, I mean, in itself, it was definitely a success. Like, you know, a lot of people came, a lot of good people came. Um, and there were, you know, a lot of real like representatives of grassroots resistance struggles, both the sort of old guard, the new guard, uh, that were represented there that were, you know, open to learning from each other, teaching each other, uh, studying together, and just a lot of really, really important questions asked. And uh, I think important connections made. Uh, that's really yeah, cool. That's cool. Um, I I remember like watching watching it all unfold on social media that weekend. It was such a surreal experience because uh, on the one hand, all you guys were out in Washington D.C. doing the People's Congress of Resistance thing. At the same time, there was also like that massive juggalo march that was going on too. So it was just like, <laughs> it was just like the uh, strangest confluence of things all happening at once. Uh, it yeah, was weird, there, and there was some overlap. Yeah, what what was your experience <laughs> with that? Well, just there were there was like a you know communist contingent of juggalos um, that that showed up on the second day. That's awesome. That's, a small one. Yeah. But no, that's so yeah, cool, though. I mean, it was interesting. You know, people have different reactions to it. Uh, I thought, you know, I mean, the thing is, it was, it, you know, people like the Juggalos, it's like a, you know, interesting, funny kind of social media thing. But if you think about what the federal government's doing, it's totally wild. You know, just yeah. 
anyone who attends this concert or like affiliates with you know has this logo on anything can be described you know affili- like uh labeled a gang member it's it's really terrible <laughs> yeah. yeah it's yeah, pretty weird right. Um, I'm from Michigan, and that's uh, the birthplace of the mm, Juggalos. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, that's where they have their like their festival, right? Or yeah, they used to. Yeah. Well, uh, the Insane Clown Posse is from Michigan, and um, Fago right. is like a big Michigan thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's funny. It's weird to like when I was in high school. Um, ICP was just like a thing that uh, a few like people that I knew in high school were into, and uh, to see to see like a juggle march is just the strangest thing. My thirteen year old <laughs> self was just like, "What's going on?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they have varying levels of sort of spontaneous political consciousness going on. You know, I think there's some things about domestic violence against domestic violence in there, and maybe some sort of class conscious things and some anti racism in there. But of course, you know, it's not consistent or anything like that. And contradictory. Yeah. Well, it's neat that all of those things kind of like I don't know happen at the same time. I guess in Washington D.C., what a weird what a weird week to be in D.C. I think for for all the normies yeah. out there. Uh, well, uh, here's a here's a segue for you. Um, so how do yeah. how do all the diverse uh, movements that did come together in the People's uh, <laughs> Congress, whether juggle is or not, um, how did all those diverse uh, kinds of struggles get brought to light? Do you think in a way that was helpful like we talked to jody dean a little bit before the people's congress and she was saying it was a really exciting thing to see those different groups coming together and trying to find ways to unify and see these struggles as part of one struggle um and the other side of it do you feel like that happened like were there some frictions were there some surprising connections uh you know what what did you kind of come away with uh after that yeah um i mean i think definitely the like the most inspiring thing and energizing thing for me was to witness and sort of be a part of this gathering together of these, you know, very different groups and struggles that are, you know, like politically and theoretically at sort of an abstract level, we can easily draw, you know, relations between the two and show how they are part of one thing. But, you know, it's much different to actually get like people bodies into a room and um you know and to see the connections be you know made flesh or whatever so um so that was really cool like there was um you know one on one of the days uh there was a, a very important um basically sort of speak out of uh relatives and loved ones of those who had been murdered by police from uh, from all over the place, primarily uh, black and Latino, and uh, each of them, e- each relative, uh, spoke about their loved one, what happened, uh, and their sort of general thoughts and feelings. Uh, people were, um, you know, I mean, it's important because people don't really hear from. Um, from this this constituency, you know, from this group. Uh, very much other than, you know, I mean, we, we hear, uh, you know, mostly through the meat through media accounts. And so uh, it was it was really powerful for everyone there. Um, and there was a there was a lot of love in the room. Um, you know, there was like, a, you know, permanent standing, you know, people permanent standing ovation. Uh, and there was a lot of gratitude expressed for people coming there. Uh, it took a lot of work. Uh, because people are really poor, you know, so it takes a lot of a lot of work and and uh, organizing capital to to get people there. Yeah. Um, 
And then the next thing I went to was about organizing in rural areas, and it was led by uh, primarily white people who are coming from small towns in upstate New York and in Appalachia, uh, talking about uh, different movements there. And um, so to see these struggles sort of like seamlessly and simultaneously woven together through actual representatives of those struggles, not someone writing an analysis, sort of composing different things together, uh, seeing that happen in a really organic way was something that is was totally new to me. Um, sort of, you know, something that, I, you know, I haven't been witness to since I've become, you know, really politically active in like 2005. So the last like, you know, 12 years. Uh, that's really cool to to see that happen. Um, what a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, that's only like one small example, right? Because there are also uh, Filipino domestic workers who were there, you know, Korean peace activists who were there, mm. a range, a range of, uh, of, of groups, um, you know, the, a lot of international solidarity, um, and yeah, I saw the, uh, didn't, uh, the Chavistas had like a representative there. I thought that was pretty fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They came, uh, and there was a conference actually happening in Venezuela at the same time. And so Gloria Lariva spoke and gave a solidarity statement that was broadcast to them, uh, that conference. And then actually, uh, Maduro, uh, made a statement of solidarity in support of the people's Congress of resistance. Right. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Which, yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Huh. Um, well, what were some of like the, I mean, you just said it was really inspiring to see everybody kind of come together. Were there any other um, kind of inspiring moments that you would want to tell us about? Um, I think a lot of the inspiration came, you know, not only during the sessions and the sort of workshops and discussions, but um, in the hallways in between and during lunch. Um, I think it was really cool to, to actually speak in depth with people uh for example you would be in like a small workshop and um you know someone raised their hand and said i'm from a you know like the 10th most racist county in pennsylvania or something because <laughs> apparently we know that yeah um and and was like you know i want to have this and i want to you know have this anti-racist action and you know the workshop sort of turned to address that aspect and then to go to be able to go up to the, that person uh, afterwards and speak more in depth and learn about not only like the political circumstances of the town, but like who they are as people, how they got involved, how the people around them got involved. Um, learning that, you know, really important information that, uh, again, I think, you know, it could like, or not again, but for the first time, I think those things can only really happen in uh, you know, when you're actually in physical proximity, right? Yeah. Those, those, those things can't happen at that level of intensity and that level of simultaneity degree of simultaneity, unless you're in an actual space together. Um, and so, you know, I think that was, you know, that was really crucial. And, you know, this was the first time that, so that, um, this has really happened since the explosion in the movement, um, in Trump at Trump's election. So, mm. um, I think that that was also really important. A lot of, a lot of disparate, uh, struggles, a lot of new struggles finally sort of 
coalescing in the same actual physical space. What do you think about that with respect to the the internet left? You know, because there are so many people who are just talking about how uh, everybody's a leftist on the internet or uh, it's really easy to be a leftist on the internet. Um, but there's a challenge because obviously, you know, posting and tweeting is hardly the same thing as uh, organizing and being meeting other people on the ground. Um, you know, retweeting somebody is a lot different than actually hearing them like talk about their experience in a racist you know community in Pennsylvania <laughs> or whatever. Um, did you find like some kind of uh, particular value in just you know meeting people there as opposed to or I don't know in relationship to interacting with people in like digital media? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a it's a um, you know such a complicated and important issue. I think. Uh, you know, on the one hand, a lot of people like how there aren't, you know, if there isn't a left in your neighborhood or in your community or in your town or city um, that's actually doing outreach, then the way that you get in touch with leftism is through the internet, you know? Um, And then it is definitely a big step to go from posting to organizing or to actually, you know, um, taking, you know, I mean, taking a weekend off to go to DC is a big sacrifice for, I would say most of the people who attended the people's Congress of resistance. Um, and so, you know, that in itself is a big step. I know that there were many people there who have become activated, uh, and who learned about, um, you know, leftism online and then started organizing in their communities and then to come together at a national level, um, you know, was, uh, you know, I think was a was an important accomplishment that happened. Um, and, you know, I mean, even for me, like, I got to I got to meet several people who I had known online, like through Twitter or um, Facebook, you know, we, we had been connected uh, in the last year. And to, to, to meet them in person was definitely, uh, I, th- you know, I think it's definitely important. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's kind of what I have to say about that. Like the, you know, the sort of broader conversation is obviously a much different and a much longer one. Um, well, that's pretty cool. Um, that sounds like really heartening that uh, that it worked out that way. Um, just making that making that jump from being only online to in real life is uh, seems like it's important and worth making for sure. Um, something that I kept seeing. I mean, again, like I followed this from afar on on the internet. So, um, uh, I, I guess I wasn't, uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly all the things that happened, but I kept seeing, um, different, uh, people tweeting about like votes that were happening or conversations Mm. that were happening. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about those votes? Yeah. So the second day was primarily about proposing and considering and passing resolutions. Um, that addressed like um, politics and struggles and organizations. So like what, like what are our politics? What struggles do we support? And what's our sort of organization going to look like? How are we going to build, you know, going forward? Um, And so there were many resolutions passed. It was a really interesting experience, um, you know, a very new one. So, um, the way that it happened was there were, um, there was a time period where anyone could propose a resolution, um, at all. 
And they could either be action-oriented resolutions, so about struggles um, in, and in which the you know People's Congress would, would endorse this struggle, do what it can, mobilize its resources to support this struggle, and then organizational resolutions. Um, so, I mean, for action-oriented resolutions, and so anyway, so they would be proposed or like they would be submitted, and then um, there were several hours to submit them, and then this is what the afternoon was about. And so um, what would happen is people who submitted their proposal would stand up to the microphone, would get up to the microphone in front of everyone and basically just present, present it. Hmm. Uh, and the language would be read out loud and then there would be a vote on it. Those in favor say aye, those opposed say nay, and then it passes or it doesn't pass. Um, and they would be things like, um, you know, we are, uh, we're here in Brooklyn Manor, D.C., we're fighting gentrification. Uh, this is what we got going on, like the People's Congress resolves to support 100% this, uh, you know, this struggle. Hmm. Uh, we, um, you know, resolve to support, mobilize, and organize actions, rallies, and forums for the freedom of Leonard Peltier would be some language. Um, we call for the withdrawal of U.S. troops and bases from Korea uh, would be another example. We demand the end to the war against black people. This includes, um, you know, an immediate end to criminalization of black youth. Um, so these are some of the examples. And this was a really interesting process. It was really interesting and surprising, you know, because this is a type of thing that can go into it. Like it can degenerate real quick. Hmm. Um, and because literally anyone could have could have made a proposal, anyone. Um, and in fact, like there were four or five people who didn't make who didn't submit according to the guidelines and they were allowed to, after like a short back and forth, they were allowed to also make their proposals, even though they had missed the deadline and not sort of follow the procedure. So, you know, literally anyone could have proposed anything. Um, and we could have also like, um, gotten into, you know, endless debates about language and wording and, you know, there's a comma here, it should be a semicolon or, you know, this is an and, it should be a but, or whatever, and none of that happened. And there was a high level of unity there, um, which was really, really, it was really, um, it was surprising, and it was really heartening. And um, I think that all the resolutions were passed, you know, almost unanimously. I mean, I think most were probably passed unanimously. There may have been some, uh, a couple of nays here and there. Um and so that was really, you know, there's there's just a, a lot of unity. And it's also interesting because, like, if you think about the the Billionaires Congress, like how like how long it takes them to do anything. And those <laughs> things are usually like terrible. Um, and then here's this group of leftists who aren't formal politicians. Right. Um, and we just pass a bunch of resolutions and it's like, yeah, let's just do this. Um, let's just get down to business. Like we basically pass more resolutions, you know, in like three hours than they do in a year. So what is a what's sort of binding about these resolutions? I mean, you've done a lot of interesting work on how uh, political parties are able to kind of organize disparate energies and um, you know give shape and sort of programs to accomplishing these kinds of goals. Uh, I imagine it would be a challenge to do that at a place like the People's Congress, where it isn't exactly a party. Um, it's not exactly a kind of unified front so much as I guess. Well, it seems to me anyway, like a kind of important conversational space. Um, 
what do you think about that? How are these resolutions going to play themselves out uh, in the next year? Or, I mean, insofar as you might make a, a speculative suggestion or something. Yeah, I mean, um, it seems that all of the action-oriented resolutions, um, I mean, one is that, like, everyone who proposed a resolution, no one proposed it as an individual. They all proposed, they were all proposed, you know, from representatives of the struggles themselves. Um, and they all entailed, um, so, you know, mobilizing the support for the People's Congress of Resistance. And the People's Congress of Resistance is... Um, is a growing organization or growing sort of, I guess not organization, but it's kind of a united front network um, of all these, all these groups that have endorsed it and continue to endorse it. And um, I think, I don't know, like now those of us who were there, we had 15 people from Indiana and now, um, you know, it's one thing when like, you know, you read about something online, some problem that's happening in Washington, D.C., or, um, you know, or, or even like, you know, the struggle to free Leonard Peltier. And it's like, well, this is important. You know, Leonard Peltier should be free. We should bring attention to his case. And it's one thing to sort of have that translate into an action. And it's another to hear from someone who's been working in that struggle for a long time, meet them, uh, and then say, Leonard needs your support. Hmm. And it's it's a much different path, a much shorter path from that to action in mm -hmm, Indiana right. when that's happened versus like, you know, we're just reading about it online or on Twitter. So I think that it will um, I think that it definitely the the Congress itself, the convening of the Congress really, um, you know, shorten the path between sort of solidarity and action. That and, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then I think that, you know, it also um, emboldened everyone there to to fight harder in their in their communities and in their struggles um knowing that you know we have the support of the people's congress of resistance and um you know in terms of what that will look like concretely and particularly moving forward i think you know we obviously have yet to see but um you know just having like if we do an action in indiana the people's congress of resistance is going to publicize it and promote it and um you know, get us exposure and amplify, amplify what's happening to, to, to the United States and to the international community, um, which, you know, we feel is really important. So it, it will make us struggle harder and it'll make us also now accountable to the people's Congress of resistance. Hmm. That's cool. I mean, it, it's different from a party because like, if we, you know, it's not like we can be disciplined or something like that if we don't do something, but right. we still have this, this, um, you know, this accountability and this sort of feeling of, um, you know, of attachment to, to, uh, to the Congress and all that it represents. Were there any moments of dissent, um, about those resolutions? Were there any like impasses that were kind of, that, that were came to, I mean, uh, was it all pretty straightforward? Yeah. Um, so there was, I think one interesting thing that happened when we started to pass organizational, resolutions is um so the conveners had several organizational had like three organizational proposals that they had already sort of worked on um and what was going to happen is they were going to you know propose those and then we were going to vote on them um but before that could happen 
two individuals sort of grabbed the mic and were like, hey, we have these resolutions that seven of us worked out, um, you know, just now. We didn't follow any of the procedures or anything like that. There's We represent seven people. There's like 800 people here. Um, we're going to read them to you right now. And um, it was, you know, it was a bad play just because it's kind of the tyranny of, it's like, the, the whole thing was like, well, this is, if you're going to be democratic, then I should be able to speak. These seven people should be able to basically hijack um, the process, right? And they actually did have, they did hijack it for like way too long. Um, I would say like 30 minutes. And it was really clear that everyone wanted them to sit down. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, for some, you know, of course, like in the name of democracy, two people <laughs> then dominate 800 people in the room. Um, again, even though it's really, really clear that nobody that like nobody wanted that to keep happening. Um, and also it was kind of like, well, let's hear what the organizational resolutions are before we propose our own organizational resolutions that we just, um, you know, that we just made up. Mm. Right. So, um, I, <laughs> I like think that, that, that good one, Marxist Leninist attention to, uh, the, the goodness of planning. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, and like, you know, people were like, well, because we're not like the conveners propose this, but like, how do I be a convener? And the, and there was someone was up there. One of the two people was up there was like, so am I a convener now? And it was really funny because the chair was like, I don't know if we're making that commitment right now. <laughs> but, um, you know, like basically it was someone who just wanted to like, you know, be, I guess, play a bigger role than they were playing uh -huh. um, and, you know, felt entitled to that role. Um, but it was it was interesting the way that sort of like everyone came together um, and didn't let that happen and was like, no, this is our Congress. And like, we're not going to let it be disrupted. Yeah. Um, we're not going to let it degenerate into infighting and divisions like, yeah, this isn't the um, you know, this isn't the most perfect thing that's ever taken place. Um, there are serious constraints about time and resources and energy, but we acknowledge those and we, we maximize everything that we have while we're here. So I think the fact that it, that it, you know, while it went on for maybe like a half hour and was really frustrating, the fact that it didn't, that, uh, that it all ended up being sort of not a degenerating point, but a sort of something that actually amplified and increased the unity hmm. and it increased the determination for the process and for the, hmm. you know, the fact that we want everyone to be heard and we want to, you know, we, we all agreed to this procedure. We're going to stick to this procedure was ultimately was like a sort of that all that was reinforced as a result of it. Um, and I would say too, that it definitely was because we had very, very smart, uh, uh, compassionate, and skilled people who were moderating mm. the process. Um, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And yeah. it also, uh, it kind of makes me wonder what you might think about um, Christians. Like, do you think that Christians uh, have a, a role to play in diverse coalitions, um, like the ones that made up the People's Congress? Uh, do you know if there were any Christians there or anything like that? Yeah, you know, I don't know of any Christian organizations or anyone who was there, like, you know, in the capacity as a Christian. Um, but I think that the, you know, um, the, well, I, I was talking about this when I was on one of the previous times that, like, I remember when the Pope had, like, a rally for Syria. 
And mm. like, you know, if you're gonna have a rally for Syria in the United States, you know, I mean, if you're in New York City, you might get like a hundred or something like that, you know? Um, if it's like a really tense moment, maybe you'll get more. I don't, those are just kind of numbers, but it won't be like a thousand or tens of thousands of people. You know, the Pope got like millions of people out there. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's such a, there is such a crucial role to play. I mean, I do, I don't know if there were any, uh, maybe this is one sort of shortcoming is, you know, maybe we need to work more on outreach between the organized left and the sort of religious left or whatever. Um, the Christian left, um, you know, maybe that is something that is right there now. It's sort of on paper and abstract makes sense. You know, there are some points of continuity, uh, points of potential conflict or contradiction, um, but it hasn't been made, you know, fleshy yet. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't take long to organize all 10 of us. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So you were saying, uh, maybe the the organized left should kind of reach out to the religious left. I think that's pretty interesting. And obviously that's kind of a, a two-way um, street or bridge. Uh, mm. The religious left, it seems to me a lot of people who are identifying as leftists and uh, identifying with their faith, um, some of them have been quick to jump into organized uh, leftist politics, whether it's the DSA or the PSL or whatever. Um, but a lot of other folks are still kind of orbiting around what it means to embody the things that they feel kind of theologically motivated to maybe promote or oppose. Um, like they're having a hard time making those motivations uh, stick in these sort of organized struggles that are already taking place. Um, do you think Derek, that there's just like a, do you think there are any good strategies for like um, people who are looking to like, maybe if there's a Christian who's like, yeah, I, uh, I'm having a really hard time figuring out how to, you know, be in solidarity with the poor right now. What do I do? Um, like, where should they start? How should they get connected up with uh, people that might be involved in the People's Congress or in the PSL or whatever? Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, I think that, you know, the website is a good place to go, congressofresistance.org, um, because that's going to be, and the social media pages, uh, Resist Congress on Twitter, that's going to be where events will be um, you know, posted and also where you can submit events, um, that you want to be huh. amplified. Um, I think, you know, my sort of take on it is it's not really like that we don't have the right strategies or tactics. It's just sort of the like will and the, um, and the resources to do it. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I mean, at least, and I'm speaking here, like from the organized left, not, um, from the Christian laughs, but like, which is kind of what your question was. So sorry. Um, but like, <laughs> we're not addressing that, but like, I'm thinking like, you know, that cause like on the one hand, it's like, well, you just get involved with whatever you can get involved with, you know, the resources are there, like in terms of the sort of intellectual resources you can read, you can find out whatever you want. The information is there. Um, it's just like one is a left gonna uh, dedicate its own resources and its own time to reaching out to uh, religious communities. Um, of course, you know, the religious communities that are uh, where they're, they were represented at the Congress uh, would be the Muslim community in the, in the United States. Uh, right. One of the conveners, I believe, was Mahdi Bray of the American Muslim Association or Society. Um, because of the, you know, state repression and racism that they endure uh, and that they're actively resisting and struggling against, which we want to support. Um, 
so you know that the will is there in that regard um but for other you know religious groups um it's 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 really yeah it's just a matter of actually doing it rather than i think like finding you know the right strategy or tactic yeah um because oftentimes right it's just through action that um you know if you if you begin something with the sort of theoretical um analysis then you just sort of endlessly contemplate theoretical questions and all the contradictions and the sort of nuances and blah, blah, blah. Whereas if you start from action, then the theoretical things have a way of sort of working themselves out because you keep them in perspective and a sort of scale emerges where, you know, something that when you're, um, you know, reading or writing about it might seem really, really crucial. Like, oh my gosh, I found this contradiction. How can this be managed? You might find out in the course of struggle that actually it doesn't even really matter at all. And it's sort of more an intellectual thing. Hmm. Um, but unless you're actually engaging in an action in a concrete struggle, um, you know, then that can't happen, which is why I think that the left tends to be more united when there's mass movements and more splintered when there's not mass movements, because then it's like, oh, well, we're not actually organizing. So let's just talk about like all of our differences and, you know, let's create more, more divisions and stuff like that. Huh. That's a really interesting insight, actually. Like the more time for like uh, sitting around online and posting, the worse off we are. <laughs> yeah, 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 kind of, yeah. Because it's like, oh, well, like I can't just retweet this. I have to add my own little take on it. And, right. um, you know. Building that brand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's awesome. Um, so uh, uh, so what? what's the future of the People's Congress of Resistance? Like what's happening next? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, right now, um, the main thing is that people who went to the Congress are back in their communities and are trying to spread the um, and study the manifesto uh, of the People Cong Congress of Resistance, uh, a society for the money, which I know that uh, uh, Jody talked about when she was on the show, um, because that's really the sort of founding document, and that's the that's what provides the uh, that's the basis of the United Front, um, and that's also what allows us to locate our own struggles within a broader movement for a new society. Um, so that's what's happening right now, and people are uh, also convening their own congresses of resistance in their states and their communities so what groups can we uh you know can we knit together in our own community um to take up one of the resolutions action-oriented resolutions that was passed the people's congress of resistance long term i think that we will need to have a second people's congress of resistance um and i think that these you know it's it's my hope that these become sort of institutionalized as, uh, you know, as annual gatherings that are, you know, that allow us to benchmark uh, where we are in the struggle and uh, assess and evaluate the past and make uh, strategical uh, and, and political proposals for the future. Um, because I think, you know, an institution like that sort of united front uh, uh, convention on a yearly basis that's, you know, not the left forum, um, but is actually about, you know, um, it's composed of people who are actually resisting. Uh, I think that that's definitely something that's needed. Yeah. Um, it seems like this year has been, I mean, 2017 has just been kind of a good year for um, those like big leftist conventions, I guess. Um, 
like the DSA had one and there's Socialism 2017 and now the People's Congress of Resistance. But the People's Congress seems pretty unique in that it is far more open than the others have been and far more oriented towards actual struggle. Um, yeah. I mean, like the DSA convention has its own set of <laughs> issues and problems going on with it for sure. Um, but this one's so cool because it's not, uh, I mean, it's, it's super inclusive of so many different organizations and, uh, really geared towards actually doing so, uh, it seems like such a good thing and I'm glad that there's like a future for it. Yeah. Hopefully yeah, we'll go no, to the next I agree. one. Yeah, I know. No yeah, kidding. Definitely. Did the, we'll bring, we'll yeah, bring the Magnificast should endorse it. That's right. <laughs> we should. Uh, yeah, for, for sure. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll bring pastors. That's the last thing that they need, actually. <laughs> we'll should bring collection true. baskets. Yeah, collect- yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, you, yeah. You can do the fundraising pitch. Oh, dang. Yeah. yeah. The, the special collection after the usual tithe can all go to the uh, People's Congress. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a good idea. It's true. I mean, Christians are really good at asking for money that's, from poor people. That is exactly true. <laughs> and, and that's not just, sl- I mean, that's not really a slight. It's like, you know, it's really important that like, you know, I mean, obviously we're not taking grants from the Ford Foundation or anything like that. <laughs> and so that means that like, we're not getting any money from rich people. So we're getting right. money from ourselves who are workers. So yeah, that's right. uh, to be able to, you know, that's a, that's an important pitch to make. I think so too. All right. Well, we'll head that up for uh, next year, and uh, we'll, we'll get everybody. We'll get everybody there. We'll have our collection baskets. You know, at my church, uh, the way that we do offering is everyone's uh, everyone's children get down and go and uh, have these little baskets. So you have to like encounter mm-hmm. all these little kids. Uh, and uh, yeah, nice. And if you well, if you don't give them any money, if you don't put any money in the collection plate, they look really sad at you. So it's like super manipulative. <laughs> uh, so we could maybe do some of that kind of thing. Uh, that might be good. Um, Think of the children. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Pe- the people's uh, children of resistance. Yeah, the people's children of resistance. Um, well, thanks for coming on again, Derek. This is a lot of fun. Uh, I, we were both really bummed that we couldn't go to uh, the People's Congress, so it's just yeah. nice to like hear back. Um, it was nice to have Jody on and kind of articulate it beforehand, and then it's cool to get the other side of it and kind of hear how it went. Sounds like it went really good, uh, really well, so... Um, keep uh, fighting the good fight over in rural Indiana with those students at Tapa. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Cool. Thanks, Derek. Yeah, it's been Again, fun. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you on Sunday sometime. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Thanks for listening to The Magnificast. As always, you should follow us on Twitter, at The Magnificast. You can find us on Facebook. You can get us on iTunes. You can listen to us on SoundCloud. Uh, There's a number of other places you can listen to us, but those are the ones that we're going to mention right now. Uh, If you want to support The Magnificast financially, you can on Patreon. The website is patreon.com slash The Magnificast. That would be very nice of you to do. Thanks, Derek, also, for coming to defend your title as the most recurrent guest on the Magnificast. That's pretty good. You can put that on your CV. Uh, we'll have a, a jacket made for you um, to commemorate your fifth time, so a couple more times you'll get it in the mail. Uh, we're going to let the illogical spoon play us out, as always, and we'll talk to you next week. I don't want to get up at church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive.
and come to earth and there won't be no church we'll meet down by the riverside there we'll swim with all creation never get tired never bored don't worry someday there'll be no dam between us and our lord Jackson, keep your hoods up, keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Jackson, keep your hoods up, where you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind, a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early Besides what else are you gonna do? As we kissed in 